You're listening to the Informal Bible Study, a casual and applicational look at the Scriptures. I'm John Stonge, and it's great to have you with us today. In just a few moments, we're going to be looking at 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 1-7, to and we're going to be answering the question, how should we honor and respect our spouse? But before we take a look at that portion of Scripture, just a couple quick things I wanted to share with you. First of all, as I do each week, I just want to invite you over to our website, which is DesireJesus.com. At the website, you'll find a variety of resources. You'll find links to our two podcasts. We have the Informal Bible Study, which you're listening to right now. And we also have the Chapter a Day Audio Bible, which is a daily reading of Scripture, and we're working our way through the Scriptures one chapter at a time. So there's links to that. There's also links to our blog, and in the blog you'll find transcripts of uh, the messages that you hear here on the informal Bible study, and you're welcome to share those. In fact, I'd encourage you to share those with others uh, via social media or whatever platform you want to share them with, even if you want to print them up and pass them around. Uh, we just hope that the, the biblical content in them will be a help to people as they read through it and process that information. We also have our bookstore over there, and there's a variety of titles available there. Some are in paperback, all are in Kindle edition, and so you could take a look and see which ones are available. And if any of those are helpful to you, we'd be happy to share those with you. We're grateful when people support this ministry in a variety of ways, and one of the ways you could do that is by purchasing some of the books that we have available in our online bookstore. Again, we hope that those resources will be super helpful to you. It's certainly been our joy to put those things together. And you can find that all at DesireJesus.com. Now, as I mentioned just a few moments ago, today we're talking about this idea of how should we honor and respect our spouse. If the Lord's blessed you with a spouse, if the Lord has a spouse in store for you in the future, how should you honor and respect that person? I uh, just happened to notice this week a particular news story that was released by Bloomberg, and I'm looking at it right now on my phone, and uh, the title was, Married Americans Are More Unhappy Than Ever. (laughs) Can you imagine? Married Americans Are More Unhappy than ever. That was the the headline, so obviously that got my attention. And uh, I read through the article. I thought it was interesting. It, it wasn't a very long article. It just had a couple quick things. But uh, their takeaway was they said, according to them, in their opinion, they said the four key factors to a happy marriage were this. They said there are four types of people who tend to be the happiest with the quality of their marriage. And they said those who spend more time at religious centers People with extreme political views skewing to either spectrum, Uh, those who describe themselves as upper class, and then the fourth category, they said, of of those who tend to be happy with their marriage is men. (laughs) So I thought this was interesting. Uh, I certainly agree with some of it. Um, Some of it I, I question. Uh, it's nice to know that, that those that uh, worship together uh, said that they were happy with their marriage. I thought it was kind of entertaining that it says those that have extreme political views skewing to either spectrum uh, were happy with their marriage. That kind of made me laugh a little bit. So I don't know how they did their research. I don't know the, how, how they came up with their conclusions. But at, at the end of the day, they felt that Uh, in general, people were more unhappy with their marriages 
than ever, and that's certainly a sad thing to uh, uh, to see or to read or to even think about. And when we look at the portion of Scripture we're looking at today from 1 Peter chapter 3, it talks all about marriage relationships. And it talks about some things here that I'll just admit right at the start are are completely counterintuitive to what our culture tends to preach. I, I'll, you know, I'll just admit it right from the start. This portion of Scripture speaks about things that I think uh, plenty of people in our culture would find off-putting or offensive. You could decide what you think about these things, but I'm going to read through what this Scripture states, and uh, then we could talk through what some of these things mean, how they're supposed to be applied, some things like that. So if you have a Bible, you're welcome to turn with me. Again, I'll be in First Peter chapter 3, starting with verse 1. And as always, if you're driving, please do not turn to your Bible right now. You could just listen. But this is what it says, starting with verse 1 of First Peter chapter 3. Likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands, so that even if some do not obey the word, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives, when they see your respectful and pure conduct. Do not let your adorning be external, the braiding of hair and the putting on of gold jewelry or the clothing you wear, but let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious. For this is how the holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves, by submitting to their own husbands, as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord. And you are her children if you do good and do not fear anything that is frightening. Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for this portion of your word, and we thank you for the fact that, first of all, you created marriage, you designed it, and you give us counsel on how best to operate within the context of our marriages. And so, Lord, we pray that we would listen to your counsel. We pray, Lord, that you would teach us and help us to understand what we're reading from this portion of Scripture, because it shares multiple things that go completely against what many people in our culture believe to be true. So, Lord, please grant us your wisdom and your insight so that we would understand what you want us to understand, and that by your grace that we would live these things out, empowered by you. We thank you, Lord, for all of these things, and we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Few things in this world are as joyful, dangerous, unpredictable, and emotionally challenging as getting married. Biblically speaking, marriage isn't a contract, it's a covenant. It's a permanent pledge before God. When you make the choice to marry someone, you take the risk to entrust many aspects of your well-being to their care or to their provision. You also make the pledge to love them unconditionally and to care for them in every high and low moment that comes your way over the course of your life for decades and decades and decades. Uh, just this week, I was pleased to see multiple friends share thoughtful tributes to their spouses online. One husband in particular expressed his sincere thankfulness to his wife, who has consistently showed him love in the midst of many recent life transitions. One wife expressed her sincere appreciation to her husband, who has stood by her and supported her during a recent bout 
of clinical depression. Marriage isn't easy. But few things of lasting value ever are. Marriage is meant to serve as a visible expression of Christ's deep and abiding love. Marriage involves placing the needs of your spouse above your own. Uh, Godly marriages consist of men and women who love, sacrifice, and intentionally seek ways to build their spouse up, instead of selfishly demanding that their needs or wants be valued above all else. Our culture no longer understands what marriage is or what marriage was designed by God to be, nor does it seem to want to even understand things like that. Uh, Even professing Christians struggle to understand what marriage is all about and how God has designed it to operate. Now, thankfully, God's Word never changes, and He tells us exactly how husbands and wives are called to serve and bless each other. So what does Scripture tell us about how God has called us to honor and respect our spouses? Well, there are multiple portions of Scripture that speak to this issue. We're just going to look primarily at this particular Scripture from 1 Peter 3. And I want to share the things that 1 Peter 3 tells us about how husbands and wives are to treat each other. And this portion of Scripture starts by speaking to wives. So we'll start by speaking to wives today. And one of the things it tells wives is, wives, be subject to your husbands. Let me read it the way it says it here in this portion of Scripture. In verses 1 and 2, it says this way, Likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands, so that even if some do not obey the word, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives, when they see your respectful and pure conduct. I don't know if you like offending people or if you would prefer not to, but if you ever want to offend a random stranger, please share this portion of Scripture with them. Uh, I think it's fair to say that this is one of the most misunderstood and misapplied scriptures in God's Word. It's also one that that tends to offend because it conflicts with certain cultural values that are preached toward us regularly. Well, what does this scripture mean when it encourages wives to be subject to their husbands? Is this passage saying that women are somehow inferior to men? Is this passage saying that somehow men are smarter than women? Truthfully, it isn't saying either. What we're shown in this passage is a pattern for order in the home that's meant to resemble a pattern that our triune God expresses as the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit relate to one another. During the course of the earthly ministry of Jesus, he intentionally demonstrated a willingness to submit himself to the will of the Father, not because the Father is better or more divine than him, but as an act of humility and respect. I like what Jesus said in John chapter 14, verse 31, when he said this, But I do as the Father has commanded me, so that the world may know that I love the Father. Jesus intentionally submitted himself to the Father so that the world could see the depth of his love for the Father. And our marriages are designed by God to display the same relational dynamic. When a wife chooses to be subject to her husband, she shows others that she actually loves and trusts him. Biblical submission, as it's referenced in this passage, is not a reference to inferiority. 
Rather, it's an opportunity for a wife to display that she respects her husband, that she understands the responsibilities God has entrusted to him in his role in the home, that she understands that that he will one day give an account before God, and that she is willing to partner with him to make this all work. This is the pattern that works best. This is the pattern that Scripture recommends. One of the most beautiful things that has often come out of this kind of partnership is that wives have blessed their husbands with a glimpse of Christ's love. As men have seen this, many have come to faith in Christ through the testimony of the selfless lives of their wives. And believing men have embraced repentance when their wives have shown them what it actually looks like to live in obedience to the Word of God. So Peter here is encouraging wives to be subject to their husbands for these reasons. But he goes on to talk a little bit more about the relationship the wife has to the husband. And one of the things that he stresses here when we look at verses 3 to 6 is the idea of embracing the nature of of true beauty. Look at how he phrases it. He says, do not let your adorning be external, the braiding of hair and the putting on of gold jewelry or the clothing you wear, but let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious. For this is how the holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves, by submitting to their own husbands, as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, and you are her children if you do good and do not fear anything that is frightening. Let's pause there for just a second. When I was in college, that's when I met my future wife and I fell in like with her. Is that a phrase, <laughs> to fall in like with somebody? But I, I fell in like with uh, my wife. I hadn't told my friends about my feelings, but one of my friends called me out on it after my wife Andrea, my future wife Andrea, right, uh, had stopped to talk to me outside the school cafeteria. And I asked him how he knew that I liked her. And he said, your eyes light up whenever she stops to talk to you. And it was true. I was smitten with her. And part of what drew me to her was the fact that she wasn't flashy or over-decorated. She was and is beautiful to me. But I have always been grateful that she wasn't showy. We have been married for 20 years now, and two of our children are daughters. The Lord's blessed us with daughters. So now when I look at a portion of Scripture, when I think about uh, things like this that are brought up in this portion of Scripture, I think about these subjects from a fatherly perspective. And one of the things that my daughters have heard me say many times is that you get what you advertise for. If you want to draw the attention of a superficial man, value superficial beauty over the gracious spirit the Lord wants to foster in your life. Now, if you want to meet and marry a spiritual man, let your beauty be more than skin deep. Let your relationship with the Lord become what's most apparent in your life. Now, from what we know about the Apostle Peter, he certainly wasn't a fashion expert, nor was he forbidding cosmetics or jewelry. What he was simply trying to encourage Christian women to do was to possess a beautiful spirit, not just beautiful skin, right? He reminds us that this was the standard of beauty displayed by the holy women who lived generations before. 
And I think it's interesting that he references Sarah here because Sarah was known for being exceptionally beautiful in the visual sense. Look at what it tells us in Genesis chapter 12, starting with verse 11, when it speaks of Sarah. It says this, When he was about to enter Egypt, he said to Sarai, his wife, I know that you are a woman beautiful in appearance. And when the Egyptians see you, they will say, This is his wife. Then they will kill me, but they will let you live. Say you are my sister, that it may go well with me because of you, and that my life may be spared for your sake. When Abram entered Egypt, the Egyptians saw that the woman was very beautiful. And when the princes of Pharaoh saw her, they praised her to Pharaoh. So that's what it tells us about Sarah, who at that time was still called Sarai in Genesis 12. But what's the nature of true beauty? If true beauty was merely physical, that would be tragic because physical beauty tends to peak very early in life. Real beauty is found in the presence of Christ in your life. Lasting beauty is found in the heart, in gentleness, in a quiet spirit. God considers this kind of beauty precious because it's the kind of beauty that can only ultimately be fostered by him. I think it's wise for us to keep our bodies healthy, and I also think there's value in caring for our appearance. But we need to remember that we've been created in the image of God, and our value in his eyes has absolutely nothing to do with our physical appearance. In fact, when Jesus came to this earth and took on flesh, he intentionally took on a modest appearance. So there would be nothing about his physical appearance to draw people unto himself. It's phrased in Isaiah 53, verse 2, like this. He had no form or majesty that we should look at him and no beauty that we should desire him. The point is, the Lord wants us to understand and embrace the nature of true beauty. The true beauty isn't just about your physical appearance. Yes, by all means, take care of your physical appearance. Take care of the health of your body. Those things are fine. But understand the nature of true beauty is the presence of Christ within you. And that's something that wives are encouraged to embrace when we look at this passage. Now, this passage also goes on to give some counsel to husbands. And husbands, it tells us that we're to honor our wife as God's precious gift to us. Look at verse 7. It says it this way. Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. So moving on from his counsel to women, you have Peter, a man who was known for speaking his mind, speaking some direct advice for Christian men. He encouraged husbands to live with their wives in an understanding way. What does that mean? Well, he was encouraging men to put great thought and great value into their marriage relationships, to do things like learn the way in which their wife communicated, because it would be different from how they communicated, and it would have shades and nuances that would stretch husbands in a healthy way. To be mindful of a wife's needs, to take time to learn why these things mattered to her, Peter was encouraging husbands to live with their wives in an understanding way. And Peter also encourages men to honor their wives, treating them, as the way it's phrased here, as the weaker vessel. 
What do you suppose he meant by that? I imagine some people, when they read that, might find that insulting if they don't understand the meaning. Well, biologically speaking, men typically have a larger and stronger stature than their wives. Both men and women are vessels that the Lord desires to pour himself into. But the idea here is that while the man might be like a metal lunch thermos that can get dropped and dinged and scratched up, the wife was to be treated like a delicate, precious vase or an irreplaceable work of art. That's the kind of instruction that Peter is giving men in this portion of Scripture, to treat their wife like she's precious, like she's valuable, not like a common tool or a common implement, like a, you know, like in my analogy here, like a thermos, something you could just bang around and not really worry about, but something that should be treated preciously and something that should be valued, something that should be looked at like a work of art that was treated with delicate and very intentional care. Now, on behalf of men, I would like to thank all women for the patience that you show us as we learn these things, because these are things that, naturally speaking, most of us, uh, we have to learn over time. Some men catch on to the biblical pattern of how a wife is to be cherished and loved much earlier than others, and some of us take a while to catch on to these things. That's why the Lord blesses us with counsel like we receive in a portion of Scripture like this. But men, if the Lord blesses you with a wife— Treat her better than just one of the guys. Don't ignore her. Don't be crass or overly blunt with her. The Scripture tells us here that she is an equal heir of salvation with you and should be completely convinced of her immeasurable value to you. That's the idea being conveyed in this passage. And husbands, there's another piece of advice that we're given here. And the advice we're given is to never forget that God's eye is watching how you care for his gift. Let me reread verse 7 one more time and tell me if you catch on to what I'm referring to here. Again, it says this, Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. When my wife and I started dating, it was very important to me to get to know her parents, and we would regularly do things like ride with them to family events or just travel with them in different contexts. Their family vehicle was a van, not a minivan. It was a larger van. It was a passenger van, but it's a little bit larger. Uh, Even though many people had minivans, they liked having the bigger one because they could transport just a little bit more with them. So that was their family vehicle. Her parents tended to ride, you know, right there in the front seat. Uh, My wife's sister and the family dog would tend to ride in the middle bench seat. And so my wife, Andrea, and I, again, she was my girlfriend at the time, uh, we would sit in the back row. And I don't know how we did not get in an accident on those trips because And I kid you not, every time I looked at the rearview mirror right there in the front of the van, I could see that her father's eyes were watching me like a hawk. He wanted to see, how do you interact with my daughter? Are you inappropriate? Are you flippant about how you treat her? Are you acting just a little too close for comfort? He wanted to see. His eye was on me. He watched me. Every mile we traveled down that road, his eye was watching me. I really don't know how we didn't get in an accident because I'm not kidding. Every time I looked at that rearview mirror, I could see his eyes on me. 
Men, please be aware that God is keeping an eye on us. It really does matter to him how we treat women. It matters to him that we love and value our wives. It matters to him that we are caring toward and gentle with the precious gift he has entrusted to us. Let's not be the kind of men who show more thought and care for our vehicles, for our TVs, for our golf clubs, and things like that than we do for our wives. If I treated Andrea poorly, her father might have killed me. (laughs) I joke about that, but it's probably not far from the truth. And what do you suppose is on God's mind if, after treating his daughters poorly, we come before him in prayer? Peter tells us that our prayers will be hindered if that's the way we're treating our wives, meaning that until we repent of the hurtful or ungrateful way we've treated our wives, we can expect to have a few issues with their Heavenly Father. God's eye is on us. In those moments, it might be helpful to remember 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 5, where it says that God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. In that case, it would be wise for us to rectify the issue with humble repentance before God the Father. As we wrap this up, let me say this. Men and women, your spouse is a gift from God. Your marriage is meant to glorify Jesus Christ and reflect his love. Marriage is not necessarily an easy kind of relationship to cultivate, but by the grace of God, it can be a very, very good one. The Lord calls wives and husbands to do some very difficult things to help foster a healthy relationship in the home. This pattern is set before us. We see it here in Scripture, and we can choose to either adopt it or reject it. But if we humbly accept the counsel of God's Word, I am certain we'll create a healthy culture in our homes and one day look back with gratefulness to the Lord who helped us value the spouse he chose to bless us with. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you for the blessing of being able to read it together and study it together and meditate on it. Thank you for the counsel that it gives to us regarding our marriages. Lord, we know that this world has a much different standard for marriage than what you've outlined in your word. But by your grace, Lord, we know that we can be empowered to love our spouse to respect and honor the spouse you've blessed us with, and to reflect your love, the love you have for your church, in the way that we conduct our marriage. So, Lord, we pray that that would be something that we would value. We pray that that's something that we would display to our children. We pray that as husbands and wives lovingly elevate each other, that the love that we have for each other would be demonstrated and that the love that we have for you would be on display as well. We're just grateful, Lord, for these reminders from your word. Thank you for challenging us as uh, we meditate on them. And we pray, Lord, that by your grace that we would walk with you faithfully today and every day. We love you, Lord. We thank you for all these things, and we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you again for listening to this episode of the Informal Bible Study. As I mentioned at the beginning of the episode, we have a bookstore at DesireJesus.com that has a variety of resources. I'm going to highlight three of them right now. Three books that I've written through the years uh, related to marriage. 
Uh, one is called Building a Christ-Centered Marriage, Seven Keys for Keeping Jesus at the Center of Your Relationship. It's available there. Uh, we also have a book that I put together with my wife for couples that are preparing for marriage, and it's just a book of questions, discussion starters, and it's called 100 Questions to Ask Before You Get Married, Critical Discussion Starters for Couples Who Are Preparing for Marriage. And I have one other book on marriage that I put out several years ago in the midst of some of our cultural debates on marriage. It's a short book, uh, and it's called What Did Jesus Say About Marriage? Living, Learning, Loving, and Leading in Response to the Teaching of Christ. And so we look at what Jesus actually said about marriage in the Gospels. So if you have the opportunity to check those resources out, you can find them at desirejesus.com slash bookstore. But that's it for us today. Thanks again for listening, and we hope you have a wonderful day and a wonderful week, and we look forward to catching up with you again right here next Monday. Take care. Hello, my name is Rachel Carmen, and I want to invite you to come over and listen to my podcast. It's called Real Refreshment. For years and years as a young mother, I chased after the wind, thinking that the world could offer me the refreshment I longed for. But it was only when I discovered it in the person of Jesus Christ that I really found refreshment. Come on over and join me as we dig into Bible study. I'll see you there.